You're listening to The Final Call with Chelsea Mendelson and Anthony Ferrero. The thoughts, feelings, and opinions expressed on this podcast are completely our own and do not represent those of our past, present, or future employers. Guys, you know what time it is. Time for The Final Call podcast. My name is Anthony Ferrero. Here with me, my partner in crime, Chelsea Mendelson. And Chelsea, it's a little bit of a slower week this week. Not as much news as we're accustomed to. However, it's still a fun week, and we got a couple variety types of topics today. Yeah, baseball, basketball, not as much basketball because, the, you know, it was the All-Star break. Not a lot was happening. We're not going to talk about the All-Star game. Okay, that was boring. No, no one cares about that, all right? And I ended up being wrong. Sabrina didn't win the three-point contest, but she had 26, all right? It was close. That was pre- it, was it was close. It was close, and she tied the guy that won the actual three-point contest. So there you go. But before we get into our basketball discussions, we're going to take some baseball news because there's been a lot of MLB talks this week. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's not as much like news. There's no big signings that I have for you. And, you know, actually, that's kind of part of the problem with baseball these days. Um, One of the first things that we're going to talk about that I'm going to bring to you, Chelsea, because we took, have to hit out beforehand. I'm not super familiar and really no, I, don't I have blame no idea. You. I don't blame you at all. I'm going to call this the Scott Boris problem. For those of you at home or for Chelsea listening to me right now, uh, Scott Boris is an agent uh, in baseball. He is the big agent in baseball. Think of almost someone like Rich Paul in basketball. Scott Boris is going to be your big number one agent. All the big top guys who want all that top money are Boris clients. They all have him. He's like the head on to. He's the big guy. Um, but the issue is, is his, he's been that way for maybe six, seven years now. He's kind of been the head guy at the top of the baseball market. The issue though, is we are now at the end of February. Spring training games have started. Literally as of recording this, um, they started yesterday is when the first, the Dodgers and the Potters first spring training game. And I want to say there are still... Six top flight free agents still in free agency that I have not signed. Again, spring training has started and these guys are not signed yet. You know, the games, actual games that count start in a month. Like we're not, the regular season is about to happen. And these top guys are starting. Four of them, four key ones, I should say, um, are are clients of Scott Boris. Um, basically, the whole issue is um, he will hold these guys back and is trying to get the top deal for them. But in trying to give them the top deal, you have to be all into what he says. If he says to turn down the deal, you have to believe him. Even if you like the deal and you like the destination and you're okay with it, if he says no, then you got to say no. And that's like the way you trust in Scott Boris. The issue, as I've mentioned clearly by now, is spring training has started and there are several guys, top guys, unsigned. And when I say top guys, I mean like guys who would start tomorrow for a team. There are just some guys there that are decent, but like are they going to start? Maybe, maybe not. Like top flight pitchers, the guy who just won the Cy Young, Blake Snell, is Boris client. He's a free agent still. He has not signed. Like, it's, it's guys that are very good that just haven't signed anywhere. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why. But part of that could be, I think part of it is, the demands that Boris is asking of the teams out there. Um, one thing that MLB has wanted to address is this late free agency window. Um, MLB free agency is one of the slowest moving off-seasons just of all of them, because everybody signs so slow. And like I said, the top guys are still unsigned. And Rob Manfred, who is the commissioner, we talked about he's stepping down in 2029. He said that they want to trigger for they want to figure out some way for free agency to have almost like an expiration date, like because you want to have these guys signed, put away on their teams. So they're saying, hey, if we can't get guys to sign by 
the end of January. Awesome. Then February can be about reporting, spring training, all of that. Um, so yeah, Scott Boris is, I don't want to say ruining that, but he's certainly not helping. And, in, you know, he's in, his, is in an interesting position for baseball. And people are like, is it a massive problem? Is it all up to him? Is it whatever the market is dictating? So after all of me feeding you information, what are your thoughts, Chelsea, on Scott Boris and the issues with baseball at hand? My first like initial thought is um, there's definitely been like moments in college where I'm like, what do I want to do, you know, with my life? And part of those moments, I was like, it'd be cool to be a sports agent. I just don't really know how to get into that. And also, I didn't major in sports business. So I think that's sort of out of the picture, at least for the time being. But um, when I've thought about being an agent, I thought about how I would go about things. And the I if a, if a player likes a deal and it like seems like good enough, like maybe you could negotiate a little bit more money, but if they like where they're going and they like the amount of money and I don't think they're getting like ripped, then let them do it. Like if, if it's a good deal, take that deal. I don't think it's good at all to hold these players out until the very last minute just to like penny pinch, especially in, in the MLB. Like there's, with especially like top players, like you were saying, they're going to make ridiculous amounts of money that you and I can't even imagine making. So just let them sign that deal and maybe you lose out on a little bit of money. But what's it to you, agent? Like you get a percent of that. OK, but like you're not the one playing. You're not the one that has to deal with the roster, with the with the players, with the organization, maybe a little, but not as much as the actual player does. Like that's career defining. That's not career defining for you as an agent. And I think spring training is important. Like you're not going to have your best players playing every night like you would it during the season, but it gives them a little bit of a warm up before the actual season. And the MLB is a ridiculous amount of games. And so to be able to warm up a little bit before heading directly into nonstop play from now until, or I guess from next month until October, you know, ideally, um, I think they should be able to play in spring training, but if they're just a free agent when they're like a top player in the league, that's just, that's not good for anybody. That's not good for the fans who want to watch spring training games. That's not good for the player. Like I said, they don't get to warm up. They also, if you sign them the day before the regular season starts, they don't get to know their players on their new team at all, or the, you know, management or anything like that. Like you don't get to know the organization. You barely get moved in by the time you have to throw on some cleats and head on to the field. Like, that's just not a good practice. I think you want, obviously you don't want to sign the very first deal that comes in, especially if you know you can get more money. But when you get this close to the regular season, like maybe we should stop being so picky about our deals and just let our players play. Because like I said, they're going to make a ton of money anyway. And you as an agent are going to make a ton of money anyway. So what difference does it make if it was the like now or ends up being the day before for you as an agent? But for the player, that makes a huge difference. And so I think that is not good. But at the same time, I don't know what the MLB could do about it. Yeah, like I said, there was a discussion that maybe if we could kind of make a deadline where at least for some of the top guys who had to sign by, like I said, the end of January, that way February could be about, you know, getting ready, saying goodbye to family, going to reporting at your spring training sites and getting to know your team. The big thing about, you know, still being unsigned for some of the, there are two top pitchers still on the market. For those guys, you're not getting used to your new team's catchers. So you're not getting the key chemistry between a pitcher and a catcher that really is going to set you up on a path to success. You're not getting that. So, you know, wherever they go, I'm sure they'll be fine. They're doing some sort of off-season workout regimen. I'm sure they're throwing, especially now as it gets later and later, I'm sure they're throwing their normal bullpen sessions as they would. However, you're not facing live bats. You're not doing any of that. And spring training, as you mentioned, is is key for those things. I don't pay attention a whole lot to spring training just because there's going to be games where you win by a lot or lose by a lot, and it's not a sign of things to come. You could have a terrible spring training, and then the regular season starts, and it's the exact opposite. 
So I try not to make too much stock in spring training. However, it is good to see guys get warmed up, get used to throwing things, see how people look. And if you're a free agent, as you mentioned, you're not doing those things at all. As far as is this a problem, I would say yes. I think it hurts the offseason of baseball to have these guys not signed yet. But I only think Scott Boris loses some of that power if those deals burn him or if what is happening burns the players. Because then they might turn on Boris. But unless something like that happens, this is just going to keep happening. It's almost one of those things where, you know, as a team, you have to look at your players and say, are any of you Scott Boris guys? Because, you know, you may just not want to deal with him. I know for the Diamondbacks, Zach Gallen, the starting pitcher, the ace of the rotation, he is represented by Scott Boris. He currently is going to be a free agent after the 2025 season. So I'm sitting there saying, well, he's coming up in his arbitration years. Am I going to wait till he has free agency? Because then I got to deal with Scott Boris. Is that, is that really what I want to do? Boris is probably going to want him to have free agency. So I may not be able to sign him before then. So I'm just waiting it out. And then I got to deal with Boris once he gets there. So, um, yeah, it's one of those things where teams are now accustomed to Boris and who he is. And they may look to go in different directions with players who aren't represented by Boris. And I, like I said, the only thing that I think will come back to bite Scott Boris in the behind is if some of the deals fall through, right? If he promises his guy a certain amount of money, you know, an X amount of dollars and X amount of years and whatever they accept falls well below that because that is a last ditch effort. Like fine, here's an offer take it or leave it. And it's way below that. Okay. Then I think we have a serious issue and players are going to start dropping Boris. But until that happens, I think this might just be, you know, part of the MLB as we've seen for the past four or five years now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, and I was about to say it before you brought it up, but it's just going to take like something huge happening to make him look bad before anything gets done about it or before he does anything about it. Cause right now it works right now. It gets him a bag. Um, so he's like, why would I stop? Especially in a league with no salary cap. Like I'm, I'm going to keep milking these rich owners until I can't anymore, you know? So in that sense, I don't blame him and I see why he does that. But again, from like a fan perspective and from a team perspective, like you brought up, it's not the best practice and it makes him look like a jerk and would not be someone I would want to deal with, especially if I was a team trying to give a big guy a contract that I think would be a good fit for our team. I'm like, oh, but I got to deal with this dude. Eh. I might go for a guy that's like pretty close when it comes to like talent and skill. Um, but yeah, I think overall not great for the league, but like you said, nothing's really going to be done about it is so far that he's able to be successful while he does it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, speaking of things, not looking so good for the league. <laughs> literally. Uh, literally not looking so good. Cause we talked about this in the last episode was the, the terrible jerseys, but now the talk this oh, week, man, it, it just keeps <laughs> getting worse. It it just keeps getting yeah. worse. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, um, be careful what you Google. Um, yeah, because you're gonna see some things that you don't want to see. Yeah, um, the pants. So, uh, to recap, if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. But, um, the MLB this year got new jerseys, um, full on new jerseys, and they are a hot mess. And that might be putting it nicely. Yeah, we um, talked about they, that in the last episode. They look terrible, they look cheap, look they look bad. And players, players have um, criticized them openly. And said, yeah, they look cheap. They feel cheap. Like, it looks like replicas. These should not be, like, game-worn jerseys. What is happening right now? They look like knockoffs. So that was one thing. Um, but pictures were posted this week of the pants because of Media Day. They're posting photos and all these jerseys. And the pants are literally see-through. Um, which, like, look, you can't see their underwear. But what you can tell is the jerseys tucked in. You can see where the jerseys are below yeah. the belt. It looks ridiculous. Like, it looks terrible. 
Yeah. It looks awful. And like I said, be careful where you're looking up. Be careful <laughs> what's out there because you're going to find some stuff. I had a jump scare on TikTok, bro. I really did. That show a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a weird thing. And MLB is standing by um, Nike. They're saying, nope, this is the same uh, fabric. This is the same type of stuff that we normally use, even after players have publicly criticized them. MLB has said, hey, this is the normal stuff. This is the stuff we've always used. And I don't know how they can get away with saying that because we have eyeballs and can tell that it's not at all the same. Whenever, ever, in the history of the MLB, in the history of them making Nike uniforms, have you been able to see the perfect shape and outline of the bottom of a player's jersey and also other things that belong to the player? Uh, You just couldn't. You couldn't. Um, it is absurd. It is ridiculous. These are guys that are on national television every single night. These are guys that are playing their absolute butts off to even get to the point that they're at. And this is what I said in the last episode. But it is absurd that they can, first of all, get away with giving the terrible quality to these players. Um, and again, I don't know if it's Nike or the league or whatever, but either way, whoever's responsible for it, a mix of both, most likely, is my guess. And Fanatics is somewhere involved in that, too. Um, it's just, I don't know how they're getting away with giving them that quality. Quality aside, I do not know how the MLB can just come out and say, no, it's the same. It's always been that way. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. You have not been able to see through these pants ever. And the jerseys have not looked this crap, this crappy ever, period. I don't know how they can just get away with saying that they're the same. When everyone with working eyes can see and also, the players can feel it. It's not even just a seeing thing. Like, there was a player, I can't remember who it was, but he came out and said that it feels like he's wearing a different player's, like, he feels like he's wearing someone else's uniform because it just doesn't fit correctly. So that's, like, looks aside. It doesn't feel right either. And a player is saying that who has worn baseball uniforms, pr- like, presumably his whole life. I don't know how they can get away with that when it's so obviously not the case. And I'm just so curious to see where this saga ends up. Because right now the MLB is just straight out lying. And I don't like accusing people of lying, but they are lying. Because we can see that they're lying. The players can feel that they're lying. I just don't get it. I Like I said in the last episode, I could go on about this forever. But professional sports, one of the most watched, highly touted, America's sport. America's favorite pastime. MLB should not be having such low quality. And I don't know if it's because the MLB has decided to pay Nike less. I don't know if it's Nike cutting costs. I don't know if it's a fanatics thing. Like I said, maybe a mix of all three. But it is ridiculous. This is not where you cut costs. These are the uniforms, like I said, are on national TV every single night. And we are able to see way too much of the players right now for them to be on national TV dressed like that. It is absolutely ridiculous and unacceptable. And for them to come out and say, no, it's the same, is it makes it worse. It makes me more frustrated with the situation. And I'm not even that big of a baseball fan. Like I've said this whole podcast and I'm this heated about it because it makes me so mad. It makes me so mad. I don't, I just don't get it. How could I just, I just don't get it. Chelsea, it's cause you're a connoisseur of fashion. I think, uh, I think that is what I'm gonna go with on that front. Um, ultimately, the players have looked like they are going to, you know, have some sort of boycott. I don't, I don't really want to call it a boycott, but they're going to have some sort of issue and some sort of, um, you know, they've been very outspoken in criticizing it. I think the fans, we all know that we've been, you know, outspoken on social media about uh, this is pathetic and this is wrong. So I assume that, you know, they're going to try and do something as the season nears. But as you mentioned, they very publicly have defended it. And so right now we're just kind of at a stalemate. Um, But as the days go by, you're just getting more and more just bad pictures to the point where it's it's laughable. I think that's the big thing is we we, new pictures come up and we just laugh. Like, oh, my gosh, MLB looks like a joke. Oh, it makes it just look like a joke. it's, It's really unfortunate. It is. And, you know, in in a day and age where Scott Boris is depriving us of free agent signings, um, it's a fun conversation to have because outside of that and spring training starting, um, not a lot else going on in baseball. 
Um, yeah. But with that, um, we can move to the college side of basketball. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, take it away. What do we got? Pretty much the biggest news in women's basketball right now, besides Caitlin Clark breaking the scoring record, of course, is um, Paige Buchers on her senior night announced that it will not be her last senior night. So she is not declaring for the WNBA draft, mind you, on all the mock drafts that have really ever come out for this class. She has been either two or three with Cameron Brink. They've gone back and forth. Um, But now she's going to stay for another year, end up in a class that's not nearly as highly touted as this one, which is still like no hate, no tea, no shade to that class. This class is just absolutely stacked and ridiculous. Um, When you have a class where Angel Reese is like at the bottom of the top 10 headed into like the teens, you know, you have a good class. Um, So yeah, she's staying at UConn. So sort of when you look at the mock draft now, you're seeing um, obviously Caitlin Clark at one. That's not, no one should be surprised by that. She does have, however, another year she could use a COVID year if she wanted to, but it, she hasn't said it yet. I doubt it's going to happen. She hasn't. I, I think it'd be really ridiculous for her to do that. Like I said in the last episode or one of our last episodes, she's going to be able to go to Indiana and play with Aaliyah Boston because um, they have the first overall pick. And so I think that she should take that opportunity. What a duo that's going to be. Um, and also for a great organization. Um, and then your second pick will be Cameron Brink. Um, she'll go to L.A. L.A. had the third best odds. They ended up skipping the Mercury. Um, ended up with the second pick. They also traded for the fourth pick. So they have the second and the fourth pick. So LA is going to do great. They did lose um, NECA in free agency um, to the Storm, who's going to be a great team to watch. Um, so yeah, that, that that happened, but it's fine. And then the Mercury ended up trading their third pick, who we thought was going to be Paige Bukers, but then it's not. So you wonder who's going to end up going to, I believe they traded that to the Chicago sky when they got the, when they got Kalia copper. Yeah. That was the trade that that happened. Um, so just, yeah, kind of a madhouse in WNBA right now. Um, Cameron Brink could also not declare, um, but there's a lot of NIL uh, stuff going on with that. Um, I don't know how much you know about it, uh, Anthony, but she is, I believe a new balance athlete. Um, and she plays at a Nike school, which means she cannot wear her brand. Um, and so I think she'll head out as soon as she can so that she can start wearing her brand. I think that makes the most sense. And that's what people in the in the W have told me. And I think that adds up. Um, so she'll probably end up in L.A. And again, they also have the fourth pick and there's a lot of different directions they could go with that. Um, the last mock draft I saw, um, just thinking of big names here, Angel Reese, like I said, I think was around eight or nine and that would put her in dc and she's from dc so that would be really really cool um so yeah just really exciting stuff going on with the w um a lot of teams making moves like i mentioned like the storm look really good um they've got skylar diggins smith now as well as neca um and the mercury look pretty solid considering they were just the worst team in the league record wise uh, a few months ago um the Liberty always look good. Um, obviously, the Aces look fantastic, and all they've done is improved in this offseason. Um, so, it, you know, if you're like I've always say every episode, if you're not paying attention to women's sports, especially women's basketball, what are you doing? Because it is so exciting. It is a great time to be a women's basketball fan. Um, Caitlin Clark is about to become, I think she's maybe like 70 points short as of today of the all-time NCAA scoring record for men or women. Um, so just, yeah, really cool time to be watching women's sports. Um, and hopefully we're going to be able to educate you a little bit more on the W. Um, my involvement with the W has sort of stopped us from that topic in the past, but I'm not sure where we stand right now. So we're just going to go with it for the moment. Um, but Anthony, what are your thoughts on like anything I just said? Because that was quite the rant I just went on. Yeah, sure. No, I thought it was really good. Um, starting on the Paige Bukers front, um, this move is surprising, but also not surprising in the same time. And what I mean by that is surprising that she's coming back, yes. But keep in mind, she's coming off of two years of very intense injuries. 
of both of twice. So that's that's one thing. Um, but you mentioned in a stacked class, she's looking at, you know, if she goes next year, which it looks like she is going to, like you're talking number one pick, right? So that's 100%. even better, even better uh, money tied to that. There's even better, you know, a fame or, you know, expectations tied to that. Like that is better. However you want to frame it, um, that is better than being like the number third overall pick going number one um, or even two for that matter is better. So um, I can say it from that angle, but three, you know, I mentioned the two significant injuries coming back from that, having an extra year one, it really raises your stock um, Two, but also this could also be a degree move. Like if she wants to, I'm all for athletes staying the extra time, however long they want in order to go and push for that degree. For like sure. staying that extra year, you know, is a big deal for her. And so if she wants to push um, for that degree, as well as the advanced positioning in the draft, I'm all for it. Um, I think she has more to showcase. I think there was so much hype surrounding her when she first got to UConn. And then she went through those injuries. And she's still great, but the talk has fully shifted to Kayla Clark and rightly so because Kayla Clark is insane. Um, but for Paige Beakers to come back from that, um, I think next year, this women's basketball becomes a little more of the Paige Buecher show uh, next year yeah. because of that. Yep. And so I'm excited to see what happens there. As far as the draft goes, um, definitely shake some things up. I think people, um, and you mentioned the sky who were looking to get that third pick from mm -hmm. the Mercury. I think that things really shift for them because I think it, in your mind, you were either getting Bukers or Brink. Yeah. Um, now that's not happening. Yeah. Um, so. And there's a lot of good options you can get there. there. Also, I wanted sure. to correct myself. DC yes. has the sixth pick and they're most likely going to take Angel Reese with that. According to the mock draft done by ESPN, and I agree 100% with their mock draft, I think it's exactly how I break it down as well. Um, but, yeah, it definitely changes the landscape a little bit. Um, and like I said, L.A. has the second and the fourth pick. Um, so you're looking at them definitely getting Cameron Brinkett, too. That I'm not even sure that's up for debate as it stands right now. Um and then uh, Camila Cardoso from South Carolina, um, solid six foot seven center, um, be really great addition for them. Um, especially, like I said, they did lose, you know, NECA, who's an absolute legend in LA, um, to, you know, to the storm. And so to be able to replace her with a really dominant big who is averaging a double double right now um, would be solid. And, I mean, she put she even pushes Aaliyah Edwards, who is like one of the best players in college basketball right now, to the fifth pick, have her go to the wings, um, which would be a solid pickup for them. I mean, just like there's nowhere you can go wrong here. Like any of these players could move up or down and it would be understandable. I mean, that entire top 12 for the first round is just so talented. I, I mean, it's arguably one of the best drafts since maybe the Brittany Griner draft. And before that, probably the Diana Taurasi Sue Bird draft. Um, so, like I said, just a really exciting time to watch the W. I cannot wait for March Madness, and I cannot wait for after that the WNBA draft because I I think we're going to get some some trades before then. But I think we're going to get some draft day trades maybe, and I just think it's going to be so exciting. The W has so many. You know, the W doesn't have a lot of teams. And so only the the best, absolute best talent can stay consistently in the league, which is a whole nother argument and conversation. Um, but it's so hard to keep a roster spot in the W. It's so hard. And so only the absolute top tier best players can stay in the W. It's not like the NBA where guys can get kind of bounced around. It's pretty much you get one opportunity and if you mess it up, you might not see the court ever again in the W. Like, it is cutthroat. It is difficult. And so when you have a draft class this so like, absolutely talented and stacked, because you didn't even hear me say Sedona Prince in that top 12. And she is a top player in the country when she's not injured. Um, so just really exciting. And those players are really going to shake up the league. It's going to make a huge impact on every single team 
that is able to get involved, however they're getting involved. It's already impacted the league with all the trades we've seen of the top four picks, which is not something you see a ton in the W or really very often at all after a draft lottery. So yeah, it's just really exciting. And I'm looking forward to the next few months of women's basketball. And with that, we'll go to the slightly less exciting right now, men's basketball (laughs) Um, with the NBA. And we're going to open that with, I thought it was kind of out of left field. Maybe there were rumors about it that I just missed. I'm not sure. But the Nets fired Jock Vaughn and hired Kevin Ollie as their interim coach. And I heard that maybe it had to do with Mikhail Bridges. But I think there's a lot of speculation maybe to what's going on there in Brooklyn. Um, But what were your initial thoughts when you heard that? I think you really touched on it well. It was out of left field. Um, as of this recording, the Nets are 21 and 34, um, which currently ranks them as 11th in the East. So which is not great. <laughs> which is not great. Things are not going yeah. well for them. Um, I thought he had a little more room on the leash. Um, I'm surprised they let him go this soon. But ultimately, if you th- like, we're not in the building. So in the building, I you know we said similar things with the, when the Bucks fired Adrian Griffin. In the building, if you think a change is needed, fine. Like, don't let me tell you, wow, that was weird. Why did they do that? Like, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, just intriguing. It seemed like they had maybe found something um, a couple years ago, and maybe part of that was Kevin Durant. Um, when you fire Steve Nash, you hire Jacques Vaughn, and, and things kind of look pretty good. Um, and the, even last year, um, you know, post- um, Kevin Durant trade, Mikael Bridges looked good. Ken Johnson had looked good, got a pay in the offseason. There were guys there. Um, and for whatever reason, it just Mikael Bridges looks more like he did in Phoenix than he did post that trade uh, with Brooklyn. And so, I don't know. I just, when you're a team like Brooklyn, you don't have a, and look, I love Mikael. I have a Mikael Bridges Suns jersey. Um, in my closet. Like, did I love Mikael Did you Bridges. not get it until after, like, it didn't come in until after the trade? I Is got it. Like, I, correctly? I got it five days before the trade happened. Yeah. So I just got it in the trade happened, and I still have it because I love Mikael. Um, As you should. Absolutely. Um, that being said, um, like, he isn't a star in this league. No. Um, Unfortunately. No, and so when you're a team that is lacking a star, um, it's really difficult to win games because at that point you have a lot of guys who can be good in their own right, but if you have no star leading and pushing those guys, then that becomes an issue. I think I think right now Brooklyn, this has less to do with coaching and more to do with the state of the team and front office. Yeah. But – if they see something there and Jack Vaughn wasn't really cutting it, um, then they make a move like this. That's fine. Um, the part that I think is interesting is they go with the interim Kevin Ollie. Um, I remember Kevin Ollie um, as the head coach of UConn uh, when UConn was good in 2014. They've been the championship with um, Shabazz Napier and the, the, those group of guys, mm-hmm. um, which is really funny because like UConn was good um, in I think it was 2011. Uh, yeah. 2010, 2011 with Kemba Walker. Um, and then they have a couple seasons of regression. Hire Kevin Ollie, um, 2014 with Shabazz Napier, come out of nowhere, low seed to win that one. Yeah. Um, and then a couple down years, Kevin Ollie is out of UConn. Um, and he goes to be an assistant. And um, to see his name kind of resurface um, here was interesting because that was sort of that meme of Leonardo DiCaprio, when he's pointing at his TV uh, with the whistle. From once upon a time in Hollywood, <laughs> uh, that meme, you know, which one I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminded me of that. Um, so I was like, hey, I know that name. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Kevin Ollie can do there. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about it. It's just a lot of dudes. Um, and you have the draft picks from the Suns that'll help. Um, but, you, but you need some solid name presence there that I think you're lacking. We'll see if, you know, free agency can help add to that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I I, I liked um, the Kevin Ollie move. Little surprised by the dismissal of Shaq Vaughn, but um, it's that time of the year where if things just aren't going right, 
and you think a change of scenery is the best way forward, then you got to try to push all the buttons that you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you said it pretty well. I, I, they needed to maybe have a reset when it comes to coaches. Um, we've seen so many mid-season hiring and firings this year. It's it's weird. Um, I said it in one of our episodes. I think it was the episode we were talking about the Bucks, where it was like, you don't usually see that. And we've seen it so many times just this season. And it's following this trend that I feel like started maybe last season, maybe the season before that, of coaches of really good, like going into the playoffs teams, um, like contending teams, firing their coaches. The Suns did it. The Bucks did it. Um, someone else that I'm forgetting, I'm sure. But, you know, you, you see that last season and then you're seeing the trend this season of like, mm, our team's not performing enough, must be the coach. And it's like, why don't we... Because it's not like they just randomly got bad. Like, it was long before the trade deadline. We were like, okay, the Nets kind of suck. So why is that not when we're trying to make a trade, make some moves? Why are we after the trade deadline being like, you know what? Now's the time for change. And then kicking out your head coach. I just think that a lot of these organizations are sort of using the coaches as scapegoats. And being like, you know what? Nah, it, it must have had to be the coach's fault. It's not our team. It's not the fact that we're not making trades. It's not the fact that we don't really have a solid star presence or core that can compete in this league. No, it's not that. It's got to be the coach then. And and I just don't agree with that mindset. I think um, you got to give a coach longer than half a season to decide whether or not he's good enough for your team. Unless, of course, you know, something is happening that we don't know about. Like you said, we're not in the building. Maybe there were some issues between, like, some serious issues between the coach and the players or the coach and the organization or whatever it happens to be. But if that's not the case, I think that you can't just use your head coach as a scapegoat. Like, at that point, front office needs to look at towards themselves a little bit and be like, maybe we're not making the right moves. And then start trying at least to make those moves because the Nets were not a team we were talking about at the trade deadline. I mean, they, they did a whole lot of nothing. They kind of sat on their hands. Why? You didn't have a team that was looking like it was going to be in the playoffs. And now it still doesn't look like it's going to be in the playoffs. So I just, yeah, I, I, from my perspective of someone that's not really watching Nets games. And obviously, like I said, isn't in the building. I, I don't get it. But if they think they need to have a move happen, I mean, like you said, Ollie has the experience, has winning experience. So sure, he's a good interim, but it's like, I don't know. I, I think you got to give a guy a season. I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's on him. But again, I don't, I don't know the full story. But that just from my perspective, I don't understand this new wave in the NBA of giving a coach a season, if that, and being like, mm, our team's not winning a championship. Our team's not raising Larry O'Brien. That's not good enough. It must be you. I just don't understand that. Yeah, I I think it's easy. And we see this all the time in the NFL, where uh, when there are problems, coaches are the first to go. In the NFL, oftentimes it's assisting coaches first. Uh, but then it is coaches because they're the easiest to change. Um, you can't swap out your entire roster uh, very easily. So coaches, you know, getting a different voice in the building um, is often the first step that is taken because I can't be like, well, the players aren't cutting it. Let me get rid of everybody. Um, so that is the reason why it happens to coaches. Um, and while, you know, it may not be fair, um, I think the NBA we've seen is out of all the leagues, the NBA is okay with retread coaches. Mm -hmm. So because he gets fired now, you know, Jack Vaughn may get another opportunity later. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, intriguing for sure, but I'm excited to see what Kevin Ollie can do going forward. Yeah. And another headline that I guess sort of made me raise an eyebrow a little bit, but I mean, I guess it makes sense. And it goes back to our ongoing theme this season of veteran presences in the locker room. Uh, Mike Conley gets extended by the, the Timberwolves for two years, 21 million. 
And the reason I sort of raised my eyebrow was he's a guy that has been in the league a very long time, has had a great career, solid career, has never been. There's maybe a period of time in his career where he was like a star, um, but he's never been like that guy. And I don't know, just he he was not a player that I was expecting to see get um, like a midseason contract extension. He's just not the type of player, in my opinion, to get that. But he fits that organization really well. They're a really young team. So he's done a great job leading that young team uh, from a locker room, from a veteran perspective, which we've already talked about on this podcast a million times in the last few episodes of how important that is and how much we like that in a player uh, on a roster. Um, but I don't know. It is something I expected. Like, I think he deserves it. I think he's a great player. Um, I've always been a fan. Um, I don't really, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what his stats are this season. Are they 11 million a year or 10 and a half million a year stats? I don't, I'm not sure. Um, he's certainly not the player you think of when you think Minnesota Timberwolves right now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I think um, Minnesota is a team and it's really come to light this season that has a lot of egos, a lot of egos um, from a lot of different guys from a lot of different stages of their career. And honestly, their coach a little bit too, um, from what I've seen him say in press conferences and stuff. Um, no hate to any of those guys. They're a great team. I mean, they're one of the top in the league right now. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't something I was totally expecting, but when it comes to like where I was going with that was where it comes to those egos, Mike Conley is not one of those guys. And so I feel like he's a good glue guy that can also give you pretty solid stats this late in his career. And so I think it's a good move by them, but it wasn't something that I expected. Yeah, you, I like what you said. I think the big thing for me is, um, so Mike Conley was going to be a free agent um, this upcoming um, summer. Um, due to this, he won't be. Um, he gets extended for a little bit. Um, I think it is a good thing for the sake of, you know, Minnesota saying we like what we have. We like what we're building. Let's keep one of our key pieces, although it may not be the big name. He may not be the star of the team. Um, he has a solid piece for them. So I think they're saying, hey, let's try and keep this continuity together. Let's try and keep these players together. Let's not let this guy hit the open market. We want a veteran presence and a leader on this team. And for $10.5 million a year, that's pretty good money considering where you know NBA money is at this point. You could pay a lot worse guys, Yeah, probably more than that. So I'm fine with them keeping Mike Conley keeping him in the system and adding to a team that is currently the one seed in the West. Mm -hmm. Like they're a really good team. So to keep this going, I thought it was good for them. It's not like a massive extension because Mike Conley is getting up there in age, mm -hmm. um, but you know, he's still a guy that can get it done and I'm happy to see him extended. I think it works well. And speaking of guys that get a two year extension, it just came out pretty much right before we started recording um, that Steve Kerr signs a two year, $35 million extension um, making him the um, highest. The way that Woj said it was interesting, but he's technically the highest paid coach over uh, Greg Popovich and Greg Popovich doesn't count because even though he makes more money, than Steve Kerr does. He's also like has a role in the front office. And so he doesn't like count towards that. So besides Popovich, Steve Kerr is now the highest paid uh coach in the league. Um so he's making around like 17 and a half a year. Uh and he deserves it. And also what I thought I think you know, was this extension is not surprising whatsoever. He's a great coach for a team that's been great. He's done a lot of great things for the organization and a lot of it probably doesn't happen without him. But what I thought was interesting about it was specifically that it's a two year extension because what was pointed out on social media, I don't remember if it was Woj or if it was somebody else was that perfectly aligns with how many years Steph Curry has left on his contract. Bingo. 
And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, no, that that's the first thing I saw. And that was Woj who said that. Um, yeah. That was one of the big things that I saw when he sent that out is that he said, oh, that is significant, I think. Um, because mm -hmm. um, ultimately, I think Steph is going to get extended again beyond that and stay with the Warriors. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's interesting that Steve Kerr may be at a point where depending on how the next couple of years go, there may just be time for a new voice in that room. He may, it may be one of those situations where Steve Kerr goes higher in the organization than coach um, and kind of moves upward. I know that Steve Kerr was um, around the Suns when it was Mike D'Antoni in seven seconds or less. And he was around uh, the front office in that regard. Um, so he may, transition into a role similar to that where he's not the coach. But um yeah, no. I mean good for him. Uh you mentioned he's earned it for sure. He's a great coach. Um Golden State has really started putting a solid two, three week stretch of the last couple of weeks together. So while they still are the 10 seed in the West, they are making steps to getting better. Their record has been better as of late. So they are definitely making a push for whatever they can. And I think Steve Kerr is a big reason why they're doing that. So I think this extension is a good extension. It works for me. I think the biggest takeaway is that it coincides with Steph Curry's deal. Like I said, I think Curry will get extended by the Warriors for, I would say, one last big deal um, beyond what he's currently on the you know the checkbook for however steve kerr having this two-year extension um, i think that's normal you're not going to give him like a big five-year deal however um, i could see him transition into a new role and you know a new coach being brought in to kind of facilitate the next wave of the warriors team i guess i don't want to say dynasty because the dynasty of sort of falling off a little bit but the next wave of warriors basketball if you get a new coach in there to kind of lead that yeah i agree with you and i think that um what the warriors team that we've known for about the last decade probably will be about said and done um by the time those two contracts expire um, so, yeah, you wonder what kind of moves they're going to make at that point. I totally agree with you. There's no way that they let Steph walk. I really doubt that he retires in two years. Um, I mean, he, the way that he's playing right now, I don't see him retiring anytime soon. Um, but, you know, like you said, the Warriors are a 10 seed, so they're not the Warriors of old. But they just won a championship two seasons ago with a very similar roster, pretty much the same core. Um, so, yeah, I... I think um, they're definitely at the end, but right. I mean, you don't, don't sleep on them. I think as it stands, they could be a solid play in team. I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs, um, but you know, you've got like now Clay Thompson's coming off the bench and doing really well in that role. Um, Steph Curry still Steph Curry. Um, Chris Paul is still out, but he should be really a good uh, backup point for them or even a starter for them um once he's back um draymond's back um so yeah they, they just have they have a lot of great solid players on and off or on you know in their starting lineup and also coming off the bench um and steve kerr has done a great job building a program there and so yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how the next couple of years play out um but like i said the dynasty might not be over i i wouldn't sleep on them in the playoffs ever ever um, so yeah, I think they could definitely be a sleeper team and make some kind of crazy run in the playoffs from the play-in. I wouldn't put it past them when they have a guy named Wardell Stephen Curry still wearing a Warriors uniform. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see <laughs> how that pans out. And our last story today is one that we did bring up, but it's sort of the end of the story now is, um, after the little spat between Isaiah Stewart uh, and Drew Eubanks in which Isaiah Stewart at, or in Phoenix, so at the Footprint Center, punched Drew Eubanks uh, in the tunnel or something, 
or you know it was in the back nobody really saw it there's no footage that i've seen i don't think any footage has come out of it um he was suspended for three games over not drew isaiah stewart was was uh, suspended for three games over it which i think he was injured anyway so it doesn't do much and also i heard before that that the um drew eubanks dropped the charges or the charges were dropped against isaiah stewart whoever's in charge of that i don't know if it's directly drew eubanks or not um they were dropped so really nothing else i don't think is gonna come of this other than the suspension now so kind of a boring ending to what was kind of an interesting story and not really much else has come out about it um like we said in the last episode where we talked about it, uh, it was most likely based off of an altercation they had when um, the Suns played at Detroit earlier in the season. But other than that, we don't really have much other details than that. I think it's boring. It seems so exciting for a minute. And then it ends with the charges being dropped, a silly little three-game suspension for a guy that's already not playing. I don't know. I think it's lame. But at the end of the day, nobody got seriously injured, and that's the thing that matters. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, but it, it's boring. This is a boring end. I wanted the tea, Anthony. I, I, don't, I don't really get that. So, I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's a little bit sad in that regard. I, I You know, we really included this to, you know, be the, the bow on the end of the story that we talked about previously with yeah you know the big fight night and now it's uh <laughs> just over suspension and that's all it is um no big drama here you know charges dropped i think the nba did obtain video footage but it was just whatever security cam footage that you know was picked up by the arena team and, and there's the a lot of cameras in that arena so they might have had multiple angles of it i would have liked to see yeah. that um it did look like it was just um isaiah stewart kind of dropped his bags gave him a big old sucker punch to the face did you see it on. uh no but that's what the footage was described as oh i was like where um, is it <laughs> yeah you know i got my inside sources so um no no i did not uh i did not see the footage <laughs> um nor was it leaked anywhere but um that is what like was described as what uh, kind of how it went down um overall gotcha. though um yeah just a nice bow wrapping on the story um, not big stuff here. Isaiah Stewart suspended three games. Cool. Now we move on. Yeah. And that's also where we move on from this episode. That's where we're going to wrap today. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, a longer episode than I expected. I didn't think we had enough content to get to this point. But hey, you know what? We had some good discussions. And we hope you enjoyed listening to that. Um, keep rocking with us on the final call. Um, follow us on all the things mostly just Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date um, the, uh, either at TFC underscore sports underscore pod for the podcast itself, or follow me at Chelsea underscore underscore mend follow Anthony at Anthony Ferrero seven. Um, keep listening to the podcast. Keep letting us know what you think about it, what you want us to talk about. Um, you know, we're getting closer and closer to March madness. So we'll have plenty to talk about very soon, especially when the post season tournament start for men's and women's college basketball um and it's it's gonna get exciting it's gonna get really fun can't wait for that in the meantime we'll keep you updated with stories like the ones we gave today and we will see you in season two episode 10 coming to you very soon